I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Blacks, a rich, smooth, and truly delicious chocolate experience. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. I'm a very, very, very happy Roisin Ingle, actually. I mean, Joe Biden is the president-elect of America, whether Donald Trump can accept it or not. And even better, from the Women's Podcast perspective, for the first time, America has a woman as a vice president and the first Asian-American and African-American Vice President, uh, we thought it would be only right to start the podcast today with a little bit of Kamala Harris's acceptance speech from Saturday night. While I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. Because every little girl watching tonight sees that this is a country of possibilities. And to the children of our country, regardless of your gender, our country has sent you a clear message. Dream with ambition, lead with conviction, and see yourselves in a way that others may not, simply because they've never seen it before. But know that we will applaud you every step of the way. Oh, I just loved it. Um, And I loved the song she came out to called Work That by Mary J. Blige. I'd really recommend having a listen. It's just so wonderful, the relief that soon we can be completely unburdened by Donald Trump and he'll stop taking up all that space in our heads. And yes, I know he got 70 million votes and those votes were for all of the inhumane and disgusting things that Trump stands for. But I can't help thinking, because I'm just a glass half full person, that this is a really hopeful time and that something brilliant has happened in what in so many ways has been a terrible year. So it's it's some little beacon of hope in this 2020 disaster. Now, later on today, we're going to hear from Ruth Medjbear, a young music photographer who, with all her work gone because of the pandemic, came up with a novel way to record our lives in lockdown. And it's just been turned into a really wonderful book. And I'd sit here of an evening kind of bored and I'd watch them turn their big lights on and the inside be illuminated by their telly or their lamps or whatever colour kind of light source they had. And I was like, God, isn't it fascinating that every single person in Ireland right now is at home? There's no one in the pub. There's no one in the restaurants. Everybody's at home, whether we like it or not. It's what we're told to do. So we'll be talking to Ruth later on about that. 
Now, on Halloween night, we had our big fright in. And thanks to all of you for joining us. Catelyn was brilliant as usual. Catelyn Moran, the author of More Than a Woman. So we thought we'd bring you a couple of clips of what she had to say. And this first one is about how to keep her lit in long-term relationships or what Catelyn Moran calls the maintenance shag. As your relationship gets older and you spend more time with your partner, the initial rip your clothes off, thrill of sex disappears under an avalanche of things that are on the to-do list. And suddenly you can get to a point where you're like, it's been three months since we've had sex. And hang on, we had sex. We, we used to do what? And you would say, what? And we would, no, it just sounds a bit weird. I don't, I don't think we ever did that. And I don't think we ever will again. Because you lose the ability to have spontaneous sex. So what you must do if you do want to keep your sex life together is to schedule it. You just have to have the maintenance shag. And we schedule ours on Friday mornings at half eight when the kids have gone to school. And that's just when we have sex. And even though for the first five minutes we're like, oh, it's a bit weird. I'm not sure about this. After 10 minutes, you remember what a lovely hobby it is. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't make you put on weight. And afterwards, you feel very chilled. But as she told us, these uh, maintenance shags don't always go exactly as planned. I realised that when we got our loft extension done, we possibly didn't pay the extra that we should have for proper insulation, sound insulation. So we'd been, we were having some sex and uh, I could hear my phone pinging and pinging and pinging and pinging. And when we'd finally finished having the sex, I picked up my phone to see what it was. And on our family WhatsApp group, uh, my kids had been texting me and my husband all the way through, sort of going, that sounds like a horrible bit. I don't think you're doing it properly. Please stop now. And then one of them had recorded it and then downloaded the sound file onto a family WhatsApp, which I've still been too scared to listen to. I don't I don't want to know what I sound like having sex. So, uh, so yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> Apart from that, she also spoke about her decision to get Botox and why it was important for her that she was transparent about it. Working in the media, mm. I know how many women that we think of being naturally beautiful who've never had any kind of medical intervention whatsoever have had medical interventions. Like kind of, I can't name names, but the top three older women that people cite and go, I want to age naturally like her. And I know for a fact, they've all had Botox. They've all had fillers. They've all just had the really careful, subtle, expensive ones, but they've had them. And that puts us in a difficult position because it makes normal women who don't have access to these things, think I'm just ageing in dog years. I'm doing something wrong. So maybe I need to have more serums and eat more food supplements and get a silk pillow and like kind of, and just do all these other things that are acceptable if you're a feminist. None of those things will make you look like some of our national treasures that we keep talking about being very fresh-faced and beautiful, but not having any medical interventions. They have all had them. And our last clip is Catelyn talking about her daughter's experience of an eating disorder and how she dealt with that? It took me two years to realise what I needed to do, which was to be able to look at her after getting a lot of therapy myself and go, I am not scared of your sadness. I, first of all, I, I am going to say what I see, which we, I had not done before. I'm going to say what I see. You are sad. You are anxious. You are unhappy. I see that. I acknowledge that. I am not scared of that. I love you, whatever happens, and we are going to get through this together. And once I'd said those things in that order, that was like a key that unlocked finally being able to help her. 
That was Catlin Moran. A little taste of it anyway. It was such a great night. We had such a laugh. And thank you so much to everyone who dressed up. Um, And thanks to everyone who's bought tickets to our second season of The Big Night In. They're still available from irishtimes.com forward slash big night in. And please do check out our Instagram page for details of how you can win a ticket. Broadcaster Claire Byrne will be our guest this coming Saturday. And I'm really looking forward to that. Now, before I bring you my chat with Ruth Medjbear, we were really intrigued to talk to my next guest, who is a young woman from Drogheda with over 11 million followers on TikTok. And when I told my 11-year-old daughters that I'd be talking to Victoria Adayinka from Drogheda, my eardrums nearly burst with the screams of excitement. So they helped me with the interview, knowing much more about TikTok than I ever will. Here she is, Victoria Adayinka. Victoria, um, I'm so happy you came on the podcast and so are my children. They screamed my ears off when I told them that you were on and they're going to ask you a few questions later. But first of all, I just want to ask you, you have 11.5 million followers. Miley Cyrus has 6 million. Ellen DeGeneres has 6 million. Cardi B has 6. So you've almost twice as many as they have. Why have you been so successful on TikTok? Honestly, like everyone asked me this, but I actually couldn't tell you because I feel like it's just like, luck because I never expected this like I my goal was for like 100k by the end of the year and then June like I went from 500k to 1 million in like a week and then ever since then it was just a million every week and now I'm here at 11.5 I don't know what people want from me (laughs) and listen tell us a bit about how you started because like your older brother is a rapper so he obviously does a bit of performing and stuff. And you were in St. Oliver's Community College and you were yeah. sort of the class clown in school. So was comedy and sketches and that kind of thing always something you were interested in? It's been a thing where it's like with my friends, like not a thing where I show other people. Like I never thought it was a thing where like other people would want to watch me like do what I'm doing like on a daily basis with my friends, you know. But yeah, in class, I've always just been like someone like outspoken and like, I'll just be talking and like people would laugh at what I do and I'll, I don't know. Well, yeah, that's really how it was. And then I just have a personality to just like entertain people. So yeah, it started from class and then it went to like a bigger following now, obviously. Now, some of the things my daughters tell me that you do are these kind of parodies of your parents and your teachers. And uh, you, you were sort of poking fun at your mother reacting to a sex scene on TV was one of them. Yeah, I made that like five months ago or like three months ago. It's kind of weird when like stuff like that is on TV when your parents are around, like what do you do? And listen, you've 11 million followers. Does that mean you now have an agent? Do you have people representing you? What happens when you become a huge TikTok star? So much opportunities like come, like it's a thing where you're choosing like what you should go for. People are offering you stuff. You're like, oh, will I accept this? Will I accept this? Like, and you don't want to jump into something like too fast because, most of the stuff that comes to you, like, they're, like, contracts. So, like, you don't want to sign into something that, like, later on, if a better deal comes, like, you can't do that because you already signed into something. So you just have to be smart with it, I guess. Yeah. And But do you have an agent? Do you have someone who's looking after all that for you? Yeah, I have uh, an agent, but, like, I do most of it myself because I feel like when it's, like, so much overloading me, that's when I feel like I'll need someone. But right now I just, like seeing it myself and like because it's exciting like getting your emails of people like wanting to do stuff with you so I like reading them going through them myself and then if it's something that's really big I'll ask my agent or something okay and what's your favorite uh content that you post like what are the things you love the most and that seem to resonate with your viewers I do like loads of videos with like maybe my doll it's actually funny because like the reason why I started using my doll was because no one would be in my videos so I needed to like 
need I needed to demonstrate what I was trying to do and then I just remembered like my mom has a doll because she makes clothes like she's a fashion designer so like I just took that doll into like one of my videos and then that was the first video of my doll it was when I was like saying how parents do their kids hair and that got like over 15 million views or something so I decided to keep putting my uh, mannequin in my video so yeah Victoria are you getting recognized now when you're walking down the street oh I can't even go to buy sweets without people stopping me on the road like sometimes I remember the first time I went to go get ice cream from the ice cream truck and I looked hideous and these kids came up to me saying they're uh, will I take a picture with them and obviously you can't like you wouldn't say no to, to like people when they want to take a picture with you and I just looked so bad but ever since then I take a few good hours to leave <laughs> Do you have any downsides to TikTok fame? Like, is there anything you're not enjoying or something that you kind of find challenging? I don't know. Like, TikTok sometimes, like, in general, it is a toxic app. Like, there is, like, a big downfall to, like, TikTok because I know, like, especially when you're out there, like, everyone is just going to have an opinion on you. That's why I say to people, like, you shouldn't be reading, like, all of your comments. Like, no matter how much people that like you, there is going to be some people that wouldn't appreciate what you're doing so there's no point going to your comments and looking for uh bad comments so sometimes I just like read some of my top comments like I don't scroll because I know when I scroll I'm going to see something that's going to annoy me so I don't want anything to not make me do what I've been doing so is that how you deal with it Victoria you you're selective about what you look at you don't look at all the yeah, comments I just, I'm just selective in like what I take in and like if I see something I just ignore it or like I don't feed into it because when you feed into it, that's when you allow yourself to keep going and finding more stuff that you wouldn't like to listen to. Now, what do your family think of it? Like, what do your parents think of it? Is it something that they were familiar with before? Um, Because the way my brother does music and he's like big, like my parents are obsessed with him. Like they're always listening to his stuff. And like for me, like I don't like attention, like because when he would drop a song or something, that song would play 150 times in my parents' room. Like, and I don't, I know if I told them about all my TikToks, they're gonna watch my videos five million times, and it's gonna be so annoying. So I didn't really start telling them until like it got like, I think my parents, my parents knew I was making videos, but they didn't know I like I had even five million followers. Like, I don't think they even knew it was that much. Like, they just knew I was always like uh, running around the house doing videos. But yeah. Now they know and they're obsessed with it. <laughs> the other thing I want to ask you before I put you on to my children who seem to know a lot more about this than I do. Um, what is it like being a teenager in the pandemic? Do you feel, well, obviously this has been an incredible year for you with TikTok, but do you feel like you're missing out on stuff? Because I'm, I'm, I feel like in a way your age group, it's been quite hard on and And also people have been blaming young people a lot for gatherings and things. What's been your experience? Funny enough, like I think the reason why like I was even on TikTok is because I'm not someone that leaves my house. Like, I'm always in my house. So when this all happened, like, the only person that really affected mostly was my brother because he can't stay in the house for a whole day. But, like, <laughs> I'm just always in the house. So it doesn't really bother me. Like, I talk to my friends through the phone and I'm not really a party person as well. So Victoria, is that why TikTok suits you in a way? Because you kind of, you're not that bothered about being out in the world and you're happy yeah. enough to just entertain yourself at home kind of thing. Yeah. When I'm bored, literally, it's just boredom. <laughs> and funnily enough, you relieving your boredom has has made everyone else very happy and given people something to look at. Yeah, gladly. So at this point in the interview, I handed it over to my daughters, Joya and Priya, who had a few questions of their own for Victoria. So I have a question. So what inspired yeah. you to start making TikToks? I guess in the beginning of TikTok, like I seen what like 
people that like haven't posted on Instagram or like or any social media platform and they just started TikTok and their whole life would change and they'll move like countries and stuff and I was like this is really exciting like I want to see what would happen if I posted um videos online to see what would people reactions be and here I am now. So my second question is like what are your advice to people who don't have like as big accounts and stuff? Well just literally be yourself that like there's nothing else you can be but yourself like there's no point copying someone else's kind of ideas or not even ideas but like just copying other people in general because you're gonna have to sustain that for your whole career and like that's how people lose people and followers will start saying oh you're not being yourself you're changing but really you're just trying to be yourself that's what I'm saying like you should just continue being yourself for the whole thing and and it's the best thing ever like when you're being yourself and people are loving you like what else would you like you know I think that you're really inspiring and I think that um you're a really good role model to people just being yourself yeah and I think that's like a really good thing and yeah I just I'm really excited that my mom's interviewing you (laughs) Because I never thought that that would happen. I've been following you since, like, ages, since when I first got TikTok. And it's really amazing of how you had, like, like maybe, like, 8 million followers when I first. But then you got them 11 million, which is so cool. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you, you know. Thank you for, like, just being yourself. And, like, you're very confident. I can actually see your confidence. So if you want anything like this, just if your mom wants you to be posted and stuff, like, just be yourself and you'll surely get what you want honestly yeah thank you well listen we're absolutely so impressed by you and delighted for your success and I hope that you can turn it into something that will be long term because this could be amazing if it was a career for you do you think it's something that will I mean you're obviously making money now right Victoria yeah Yeah. so do you think you might be able to keep that going yeah I guess like it's what I want to do so I guess I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing that's what got me here in the first place so if you continue the way you started, you're going to be successful regardless, I think. Thanks very much to Victoria Adayinka and to Joya and Priya, who now for once actually don't think I'm as uncool as they usually do, but I'm sure that won't last very long. Still, it's nice while it lasts. You are listening to The Women's Podcast, brought to you by Green and Black's Organic Chocolate. Discover a different kind of dark. Now, many of you will know about Twilight Together, a project by young music photographer Ruth Medjber, who, with all of her work gone because of the pandemic, began one night in lockdown photographing people through their windows of their homes. The project really took off, starting with a front page display of her photographs on the Irish Times and now culminating in a beautiful book featuring dozens of the people captured by Ruth all over Ireland at their front window at dusk, each with their own story to tell. It's an extraordinary portrait of a pandemic and an important record of our times. I really enjoyed our conversation and I know you will too. Here she is, Ruth Medjabair. Ruth, it's such a beautiful book. Tell me about how you came up with the idea in the first place. So this idea, um, the idea to shoot people through their windows was actually something that I thought of years ago, like at least a decade ago when I was in college, Um, because I'm a really nosy person. (laughs) And when I'm out walking the dog in the evening and, uh, you know, that lovely twilight when the nights are kind of dark like they are now or the the days get get dark quite early, um, I would always pass by houses with their big lights on and have a little nose in. And so I thought years ago, it's like, oh, wouldn't it be lovely if I asked these people to come to the front and I'll take their portrait? 
But back then, the the idea didn't have much relevance. It didn't have any sense to it. It was very, it was just voyeuristic. It was pure voyeurism, like very simple. So I shelved the idea and I have this wee book, I say a wee book, it's bloody massive of like thousands of ideas that have been shelved over the years because they make no sense. Then when the old lockdown hit, I was on my own, living on my own in my little tiny apartment. And um, the only good thing about my tiny apartment is that it has a massive, massive window, like the whole wall is a window. And it looks out into this courtyard with all the other people in their same little one bedroom apartments and their massive windows. And I'd sit here of an evening kind of bored and I'd watch them turn their big lights on and the inside be illuminated by their telly or their lamps or whatever color kind of light source they had. And I was like, God. Isn't it fascinating that every single person in Ireland right now is at home? There's no one in the pub. There's no one in the restaurants. Everybody's at home, whether we like it or not. It's what we're told to do. So then I kind of thought, it's like, oh, look at that. I had that idea years ago. Now it suddenly has relevance. So I did what I always do with new ideas that involve people. I bullied my mates into posing for me. So I texted my friend Maeve. I was like, here, what time does your baby go to sleep at? Uh, is there any chance you can keep her up to twilight? And Maeve was like, oh, I don't know, but I'll give it a shot. Like, So I rocked out to their house. Um, and theirs is a house that I'm extremely used to going inside and having a cup of tea and or or me and Maeve opening a bottle of wine and me passing out on the couch and then waking up with the baby the next morning you know it's one of those houses that that for me is a second home and um so I went out and this time it was surreal everybody had started to kind of self-isolate especially those with kids and everything because back then we didn't know what the crack was we didn't know if kids were more susceptible or less so everyone really just looked after themselves and Maeve and Paul were, were no different they were like oh I don't know what to do I'm so nervous so I talked to them through the window took the picture and then for the first time I just walked away I didn't go into the house and I was just like oh crap is this it like is this what it's going to be like for however long I got back into my car a little bit sad looked back on my camera at the pictures and I kind of went oh I think I've captured a little bit more than just a nice picture of my mates at the window here and then I made the decision there and then to keep going and in my head, I was like, this is going to make a great Instagram post at best. That was it. That's all I was aiming for was a really great Instagram post. So I decided to not share that photograph until I had 16 other windows because I, I thought it would make nice as a, like, a nice collage tiled effect. Um, and 16, of course, is a perfect square and that suits Instagram. And this was me in my small little world going, yay, Instagram. And then um, I did, when I had the 16 windows, I badgered everyone I knew around Finglas, around Marino, where I lived. And I said, come here, get in this for me, will you? And everyone was all lovely about it. Then I did the 16, posted it. The next day, the Irish Times posted it on the cover. And then from there, it went mad. Uh, I had 400 emails in my inbox the next day from people looking to be part of the series and I thought whoa if so many people want to be part of this kind of who am I to say no let's just do it let's just kind of give everyone a little slice of happiness and a little document for their own family for this time and um I started planning it and I started doing logistics and I tried to get to as many windows as possible as you know yourself and yeah I went for it 
Well, I do. And we should tell people how I know, because Ruth, I was one of the people who was going, Ruth, Ruth, come to my house and take take the picture of our family. But of course, I'm so scatty that I got the date wrong or something. And you turned up outside my window <laughs> and the front room was not looking the way I'd like it to appear in a photograph. And we weren't looking very well either. So I said, oh, will you come back another day? And we never got it together. But I have to say, looking through the book, I don't have any regrets, you know, because I feel part of this book, even though I'm not in it, if you know what I mean. I think that's the beauty of it. We all know what it was like to be at home during that time. So we can relate and we can identify with all of these people standing at the window, which is really what you've done. It's a gift of a project. I think, well, thank you so much for saying that. But yeah, I do feel like everybody reading it will be able to identify with at least one household in the book, you know? And you'd be like, oh, look, they're like us. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because there is... There's 150 houses in the book and 499 people. And um, but there are all sorts of people. It's it's right. So it's not just Dublin. That was the thing. As soon as I got the book deal, I thought this is bigger than me and it's bigger than my Instagram and my reach. I I want this to be a document for all Irish people to hold in their hands, to reflect upon 2020. And to do that for me, I had to get out of Dublin. So I started traveling. I went to Cork, to Waterford, to Galway, to Clifton, to everywhere that I could possibly get to, I went to. Um, So I put a lot of miles on the road. But it's also important for me that it's it's a representation of Ireland, not just geographically, but by the people. So for me, I had to include other people than my mates, you know what I mean, outside of my circle. So there is loads of LGBTQI families in it. There's loads of, there's Muslim families, every race, culture, religion, profession, personality, everybody that I could think of is in here. So I really kind of set myself the challenge of going, listing everyone I could think of and going, I don't have a connection for this person. I have to go find a connection, you know, and making my social circle a little bit wider and inclusive and, because you know what, that's really important to me. I grew up um, in a my as a mixed race child in Ireland in the 90s, and there was absolutely no representation of Arab women in galleries or in books like this. And you know, you know, the first time I saw an Arab woman in a gallery, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing! It's me! It's me! And uh, I want people to, I want the young kids growing up who are of all different nationalities but are Irish to look at it and go, oh look, there's someone like me. So that's essential I think yeah. Ruth tell me about your background and and not just well the fact of your own uh, family situation but also then your photography as well because people will be interested to hear because this there's such synchronicity with what you're doing and it makes perfect sense to me that you're the person doing this project so tell us about growing up um and your family. Um well I think like there's Papa Med, my dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> dad uh, Papa came Med, from I love it. It yeah, sounds Papa like a Med. Smurf. <laughs> yeah, it does. Isn't that's, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, Smurf Med. Uh, he came from Algeria in the 70s, like gas crack. They got off the plane, 10 of them looking like they were about to join Thin Lizzy on the road, like bell-bottom <laughs> flares and little leather jackets, like brilliant. Uh, but they came here, dad came here as part of like an exchange program to fix airplanes. So he's an aircraft engineer engineer but then after that he went into business selling cameras so he was a tradesman for photography gear and had his own little company with mam in the 80s 90s and so I grew up in the back of the van 
instead of being in childcare, because of course childcare is way too expensive in the 80s, they put me in the back of the van, drove me around Ireland, and I'd sit on the cam- on the counter of all these camera stores, surrounded by this amazing equipment, because back then it was all darkroom equipment. We had things like litmus paper that tests the acidity of chemicals and blower brushes and all this fat, like it was like being in a magic shop. And so that was that photography was always there. I knew how to take pictures before I knew how to write my name on a piece of paper. So I was always going to be a photographer. I think like if you, like it's in me. If you if you slice my bone in half, it'll be written. Photographer be written like like you get in a stick of rock in your in me bones. Um so it was always gonna happen. And then of course I um like every teenager, when I hit around thirteen, fourteen, music became my obsession. So I put the two of them together, music, photography, and I had my little Einstein moment and went, wouldn't it be great if I could turn this into a career? So I put all of my energy into making this a career as a music photographer. And then fast all the way forward to like 2020, the start of 2020, say, I was just finished touring with Hosier around Europe. I toured with Arcade Fire. I was photographing the pyramid stage at Glastonbury. I'd kind of realized my dream. Um, and, you know, beyond my dream, to be honest, I'm extremely lucky that I've gotten to do what I've always dreamed of doing. Although I say lucky, but I've worked my arse off. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I, I love to work and I work hard. But um, yeah, so that was where that was where it kind of stood um before covid hit and i was you know really proud of myself that's why i think it hurt me so hard when it was taken away overnight i really do think that that's why i had such a just a level of devastation as a lot of people in the music industry are still feeling and that's i think um it was through that kind of trauma and grief that the book was born because i wanted to re-establish that connection and the social element that I have in my job as a music photographer you know I'm very lucky that when I'm on the road touring with people they're they're your friends they're your family they're everybody and I miss them so I put them all in the book (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 such a brilliant brilliant project I love how you took that isolation that sense of unfairness and how your world had kind of come crashing down and you went out and a lot of the time we can get very inward when we're in those places. So we can get very depressed. We can get very self-pitying and it all is directed inside. And did what you did with the people in their houses and the photography, did that force you in a way to come out of that? And sort of because you were giving to people and you were reflecting other people's stories, mm. did it help you inside? Absolutely. I think because my camera has been such a tool over the years as as a form of expression, but it's also a form of kind of therapy. It's definitely, you know, some people love cooking as their therapy, exercise as their therapy. This the, the camera is for me that it's a, a tool of expression and therapy and I I lean on it a lot and it is kind of the only thing I know, which is sad in a way, but I love it. Um, but it got me out of the really deepest, darkest pits of depression during this. Um, like I won't, everybody knows how sad lockdown one was. Everybody, whether you were working or not, whether your life was untouched or not, it was still extremely scary. And um, yeah, I just kind of had to go with it and run with it. And then, oh God, like honestly, the people were the ones that really lifted me out of this because like I said like rocking up to the windows every single night and the buzz back from them is gas like I know there's some there's some sad elements in the book and we will acknowledge that 
this we're in a crisis it's chaotic people are grieving there's a lot of loss whether you lost your job or you lost a loved one there was an awful lot of sadness in this but what got me through it was the reaction at the windows whether this person was grieving or whether they had just dug out their hair straighteners and their heels for the first time in three months and they were all drinking champagne because this is the most exciting thing that's happened to them in weeks and they're buzzing you know and the tunes are on and I'm shouting through the window going can you turn down the music so you can hear me <laughs> like they're loving it like and I you and it was that kind of um you know I've I have an exhibition that's open and showing these pictures and I titled it Graw August Sullis because that's what I got through the windows. It's what I received as a photographer, love and light beaming through those windows because that's what everybody gave me. I They sent me on my little happy way every day, kind of going, oh my God, this is gas crack. I can do it, I can do it. And um, But like not even to mention that, the kindness that I was showed, absolutely, I know we're always saying that Irish people are the loveliest people in the world. This book is bloody testament to it because they kept leaving me presents under bushes and beside the wheelie bin. You know, I'd take the photograph and they're like, that's great, Ray, thanks very much. Just check behind the wheelie bin there. No, the green bin. Yeah, there's something for you. And it'd be, you know, a <laughs> bottle of wine with a single glove on top and a bottle of hand sanitizer so I could pick it up safely. The Like the lengths that people went to to show their appreciation. For me, just rocking up and taking a photograph. I mean, oh, it just fills me with such happiness now. Well, Ruth, that's all beautiful as well. But but in terms of the devastation of your career, you know, a young woman really at the peak of her, her game, doing all those things, you had so many plans and they were all gone. But it's it's incredible how this in your isolation has allowed you to kind of reboot in a in a very in a different way. Um, and when I saw the the RTE autumn schedule come out and I saw all the RTE presenters, you know, positioned at their windows. And my first thought was, oh, my God, they've robbed Ruth's idea. <laughs> this is terrible. I know. But that was I... that they didn't rob your idea. Can you explain how that came about? It was inspired. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So the day that went live, Orty put their stuff out at 6 a.m. And God, I'm not up at 6 a.m. Could you imagine? But I, I woke up at around 8 to all these text messages from people going, Orty, have robbed your idea. And I was like, or messages kind of going, is this yours or are we very angry about Orty? And I'm like, no, no, chill, everybody. It's mine. I did it. I've been working on it for a few weeks. And um, they have an amazing woman at the helm of all of their marketing and PR and all that is Maureen Catterson. And she saw my idea online and just said I want this I want you I don't want anyone else to do this and she was very clear about it because I had offers to shoot this and you know in various different ways for various different companies over the months and I always kind of said no because they'd be like oh we like it but we want to do this we like it but 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 and I was like I am not a big fan of the but there I just want to do what I do and she got that Maureen got that so off I went for 17 nights photographing RTE people in their windows, in their houses. I was having a good old nose in their gaffs, kind of going, oh, I wonder what her house looks like now. This is going to be great. And so it's properly nosy. And I think that's the crack what people love with this oh, project. Was, is that you It was totally so good. Know. And, you know, it was beautiful to see RTE coming together with a young creative like you to create oh. something original that no other broadcaster in the whole world has ever done, you know, and just fantastic. It oh, must have been brilliant. Oh, yeah. It was great crack to shoot now, I have to say. <laughs> um, then let's talk about some of your favourite photos and some of the most poignant ones. Let's start with Ben and Bernie. So you mentioned the sadness in some of them and Ben was facing a deportation order uh, mm. when you took the photo. So what can you bring us up to date with what happened to them? Because it is a very moving picture. Of course. Yeah. So Ben and Bernie, like they're absolute legends. But well, so 
come back to when I got the book deal and I thought, let's make this all Ireland. Let's make it inclusive and let's make it very 2020. And for me, that includes like discussing social issues that we're battling with as a society, as a culture, as a nation now. Those are things like uh, um, direct provision centres, you know. And so when I started this project, people were like, are you going to photograph direct provision centres? Are you going to photograph prisons? Are you going to, you know, and I was thinking... No, because those people aren't choosing to be in their homes right now. So it, it wasn't sensitive and it wasn't appropriate to me fo- to, to photograph direct provision centres. But I thought I definitely still want to acknowledge that this is a massive issue for us today. Are these horrific centres? So Ben and Bernie just popped up on my timeline and I thought, oh, there's a story that needs to be told. There's a story that's, you know, it's relevant, it's important, it's crucial, and I could actually help it, another human being here. So on March 14th, just as the rest of Ireland were settling into our homes and being told to stay there, Ben got his deportation order. Uh, and then that just put his whole life at risk, didn't it, really? Do you know what I mean? Being sent back and not having, not knowing how long he could stay in his home. And he's been in that home for years with Bernie. The two of them are the most adorable, loved up couple you'll ever meet. Like, And I went out and I met them and I had the chats at the window. And just listening to him talk was absolutely overwhelming. He's just so well spoken and so kind and so he really kind of he reminded me of my father a bit as well because you know when like as a man of a certain age they they're quite reserved in a way but still that little glimmer of like oh he's lovely like just lovely but so that was you know so there's direct provision centers got to mention in the book because it's important and I really hope that that um Ben gets to stay what happens to Ben and Bernie what's the situation now I don't I'm not fully up to date on the whole thing but there's still um a petition online that you can sign to save him um, and there's a fund it for their legal costs because it's expensive and this is the other thing it doesn't just stop at Ben Bernie is a warrior Bernie goes visiting um, direct provision centres rounding up bags of groceries for them her house is full of all these plastic shopping bags full of groceries that she picks up and drops them off because you know how hard it must be to live on 19 euro a week so she subsidises them all she gets winter coats for the kids she'll source like an old uh, laptop for if one of the kids is going to college like absolute champion good people you know really good people um so so tell me about some of your other favorite ones. I love the I like I don't know her name but the one of the woman just guzzling a glass of wine really spoke to uh, me. I have to say. Fab isn't she? She's a fingless <laughs> resident. Got to love them like. A lot of people chose to have an old sneaky drink in the window. My friends Emma and Coleman down in uh, Clifton, they were also sculling back the wine and um but like there's there's kind of a, everything that I could think of putting in the book is in the book. So there is a bit on being single during the pandemic, you know, and you know socially distanced dating and then like the loved up couples and there's everything from the somber and the poignant and the you know the grief stricken people are in there so I've lots of stories you know um that are that you know they're important to tell and then there's the gas ones just the absolute gas ones of everyone disco dancing my friend Rocky DJ and from his front room and all these people that you know and the table quizzes god you remember the amount of table quizzes so Niall and I did a big series of table quizzes through the lockdown so of course I had to put him in his window and all this crack <laughs> yeah but do you have an absolute favorite Ruth is there one that you are say proudest of or feel represents things I mean they're all amazing it's a stunning piece of work and I can't can't say this enough to people if you think if you can't think of what to get people for 
Christmas this year and you feel like you want to do something different, this is the thing to buy for people. I I, I can't say that enough. It's wonderful. And also Ruth has made these amazing um, gift cards as well, like Christmas cards and cards to send. They're for sale as well, Ruth, are they? Yeah, the Grog as well as cards. They're like the non-Christmassy Christmas cards because I didn't want them to be. I didn't. My fear when when ordering all these Christmas cards that I was going to be stuck with a whole load of Christmas cards in January. <laughs> so I don't. They don't mention Christmas on them. They just say Grog as well as light. But it's kind of appropriate because you know Christmas isn't really going to be Christmas. So love yeah. and light in your in your um, letterbox is a much more appropriate thing to get. I think in a way. <laughs> Thanks. And it's also yeah. a very secular Christmas card, I think, is what it is. Which That's is nice. it. Like you can send them to your your friends of every faith. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'll send one to up uh, to Papa Medge there in a bit. Going here, it's not Christmas for you, but it is now. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I was just wondering if you had an absolute favourite. Um, do you know what? I don't. And that's a really terrible thing to say in an interview. But there's no, 150 houses in the, the truth. book. It's the truth. Do you know what I mean? I could give you probably my top 10 and it would be the one with my dog in it because I love her so much, you know. And then there's my parents. Um, But they all bring back certain memories to me, you know, when I was flying around doing things. And, you know, the ones where I'm like, oh, God, that was so I did a whole street one night. I did 10 in one night called New Row up in Chapel Lizard. And that was the most bananas night because I got there originally and my friends Connor and Lorraine live there. And I said to them, I was like, I want to put you in the book because he's a musician and she works doing decoration of like weddings like she's a stylist. And they are both out of work at the moment because of bloody COVID so I said I want to put you in the book you're important and then um she texted me said my next one ever wants to be in it is that okay I'm like yeah absolutely I arrived to New Row and Chapel Lizard and they were having a full-on socially distant street party for my arrival it turned into chaos they were all drinking Connor uh, the windows are really high so Connor was dragging his kitchen chair from window to window Lorraine had the window lean in her hand wiping down people's windows because they weren't ready for me they didn't really know what was going on they just heard the crack my excuses Ruth like the windows were filthy and I thought I can't have that and And it's a legitimate excuse you know but I ran I did 10 windows that night and the last one was the dog on his own in the window because I'd photographed him and his owners and then they came out for a drink but left the dog inside and there you just see Kobe's little head popping up in the window and I'm thinking ah bless him like so that reminds me of just how much fun this project was you know when when I got past all the sadness and all that life can still be a little bit of fun you know well the last photo in the book is your own one and yeah it's it's really beautiful and like you said your dog's what's your dog's name Leia. Leia is there looking absolutely beautiful. And you're, you know, you say in your little caption, you were worried you wouldn't look photography enough or you were worried about how your home would look. And your big window is really, it's perfect. Did you do that yourself? Did you put the camera outside? So I took my photograph as the last one. The book is kind of like in chronological order, really, from the start anyway. And uh, so I took my photo in the last one the nights before the pubs reopened because I thought, you know, as soon as the pubs are opened, everybody is out of their houses and I haven't got a hope in doing this anymore. So I think it was like the 29th of June or whenever it was. And I did my next door neighbours first because they're my little kind of like social bubbles. We used to um, drink over our patio of an evening. Like they're brilliant crack. They got me through all of this. So I said to them, it's like, I'll come do your window. And then I'm going to put the camera and the tripod outside my window. I'm going to run in, try and get the dog to behave. All you have to do is put your finger on the trigger and take loads of them. And we're bound to get something. And they were like, okay, we got this. So it all happened. I, I'd gotten... Um, 
a Chinese delivered to my house and I hadn't had a time to tuck into it before twilight arrived and so I had a a little bag of chips and it took a whole bag of chips for the dog to stay still (laughs) she didn't know what was going on she kept running up to the window pushing her nose in the glass jumping up on me I was like dog will you just stay still for two seconds please so the resultant picture is her flat out on the ground stuffed the chips with her tongue hanging out (laughs) I have to say there's lots of dogs in the book there's one horse I, I did this thing recently about reasons to be cheerful and the amount of people that mentioned their dogs is incredible I think dogs got a lot of people through lockdown as well tell us what next year looks like for you now Ruth because this has raised your profile I mean I knew about you before because you'd been involved in a lot of different things not just music like you're an activist as well and you did all that loads of amazing work during repeal um, and that concert that we were both at and, and all of that so what do you think um, this has done for your career in a way? I mean, hopefully it has given you more opportunities and that 2021, you know, hopefully when this is kind of, uh, we can't say what's going to happen, but, you know, what what's yeah. what next year look like for you? Do you know what? I, 2020 has taught me to have multiple plans all at once and be flexible. So I, I do love a good plan. Plan A will always be music. Let's, if someone asks me to hit the road with them again, it's like, oh, we're firing up the tour bus. There's a bunk for you. I'd be like, I'm there. I'm already waiting for you. So that'll be plan A. Now, it might not happen this year and that's fine. So this book, yeah, it has op- opened up a lot more avenues. And do you know what happened? Um, I used to always consider myself a music photographer and I never really took to the title artist for lots of different reasons. There's a lot of galleries out there that wouldn't show music photography. They don't really believe it to fall into the art category. Um, But this year has changed. I had an exhibition in Australia that I programmed remotely and I was in this beautiful, big, really well-established gallery and it was all of my music photography. And I, I turned the idea so that I turned my focus back on the crowd and they pushed it out as an art exhibition rather than music. And that kind of gave me just a little bit of legitimacy and I think this book has given me a little bit of legitimacy to call myself an artist for once in my life and next year I'm going to really take to that and I have an idea for book number two which involves people always going to involve people and telling stories all across Ireland but then there's a couple of other ideas that I'm, I'm going to do there's one about being mixed race and Irish that um, has been on the back burner I want to do for a long time so that's going to get done and then a couple of other bits and pieces um, that I can't say now but it's going to be very exciting but I'll throw it all in if I get to go on tour though I'll be like nope Affect the artist business the business of a music photographer. <laughs> but um Ruth, the thing is, just on a serious note, your music photography is art. Um everything you do is art. And I think anyone who's seen your work, not just this work, anything you've ever done, you bring so much to uh to your work that it is it's not one dimensional and it's got so many layers and there's a really beautiful feel to everything you do. So I think you're just gonna have to get stuck with that artist tag, I'm afraid. You are an artist. <laughs> We're going to be describing you as that in the intro to this podcast. So that's it. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I can't. I see. I'm so emotional today that if anyone says that and likes me, I'm just (laughs) going to cry. I'm just everything for the whole seven and a half, eight months has been building up to this day. And I'm just like, oh, my God, my book is in the wild. (laughs) This is happening. I'm in bits. I'm already in bits. So early in the morning. (laughs) I, I think there's going to be plenty of tears over your book as well. Happy tears, though. Sad tears. All the kind of thing. You know, you don't, the thing you can hope for most of all from your work as an artist, I think, is to move people. And this book is so moving and touching and important. And like you said earlier on, it reflects the true Ireland we live in, not the Ireland that some people would like to have, or especially now with all these 
you know, awful right wing sort of things going on. Not that Ireland, but the real Ireland, the generous, supportive, loving Ireland that we all know. And um, it's all here in this book. So I'm, I'm going to tell everyone I know to buy it and uh, give it to their friends. And love and light to you, Ruth. You're an amazing woman. Thank you, Oshie. Oh, I'm just so excited. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. When I got the email that I'd be on this, I was like, no way. That's amazing. Oh, brilliant. (laughs) Take care of yourself, Ruth. Thank you. Thanks so much. And that's all we have time for. Thanks to Victoria Adeyinka and Ruth Medjbear. And Ruth's book is Twilight Together, Portraits of Ireland at Home. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I will talk to you next time. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com